I was so glad Chris in the call to worship talked about resolutions. Not necessarily that I believe in resolutions. I believe in the power of God to transform us. And I think that was Chris's point in reading Romans chapter 12, is that it is the power of, of God and the renewing of our minds that transforms us, that makes us into something better than we've been. And I think the transition of the year is always a good time to begin to contemplate where we have been, where we are going, what we anticipate, but ultimately what we by faith know God is going to do. And we've been going through the Psalms, and I wanted to join a couple of Psalms together here today, conclude the year with a message on thirsting for God. And this isn't necessarily uh, a message dealing with resolving to do better, but it's a message on recapturing our focus, what really matters. Because we live in a culture that has a cacophony. Do you know what cacophony means? I love that word, though. Just to say it sounds fun. Cacophony, cacophony. It means coming from everywhere, all over the place, all different sounds, uh, volumes, messages. A cacophony is just a bunch of noise. But there's a bunch of noise in our lives, in our culture, in our world today, isn't there? And sometimes we listen to the wrong voices. We pay attention to those things that really aren't going to edify and strengthen us. And ultimately, as we'll see this morning, quench our thirst. I went on a hike once in the uh, Colorado National Monument. It was in June. And it was somewhat of an impromptu hike. And I'm not going to tell you the whole story because it's really embarrassing. But I'm just going to tell you the part that relates to me. Did not bring water with me. And I thought it was a much shorter hike than I was anticipating. And as I got into the hike, I realized, okay, this is going to be a while, and I don't have any water with me. And continued to walk, began to be dehydrated in the summer heat. I was going in the middle of the afternoon. Again, nothing wise about what I did here. And when I finally was able to drink. I had a big old thing of filtered water. I just drank and drank and drank. Because I had been out in the sun walking for several hours without water. I needed water. I thirsted for water to quench that need. And that's what thirst really is. It's, it's a desire to quench a need. Now, those of you who have ever taken Psychology 101 have seen the pyramid of Maslow's basic needs hierarchy, right? Where we start at the bottom of the pyramid with basic needs, food, clothing, shelter, and we rise up to the the top of the pyramid where there is self-actualization. That's the psychological terminology. But Maslow left out in his hierarchy of needs the truly most basic, most essential 
need that any human being has. And that's a need for God in our lives. We all need God in our lives. We thirst for God and we don't know it. We don't understand what the desire within us is all about as human beings. And we try to fulfill that need in a variety of ways. Alcohol, money, power, position, fame, whatever, you name it. We try to fill that need with things that we think will satisfy, but ultimately, it's a desire for God. It's a desire to have what only God can give present in our lives. That's what the psalmist is speaking of here in Psalm 42 and Psalm 63. We're going to read through both of the psalms this morning. But it's that basic need, that basic thirst that every human being has for God. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God, when can I go and meet with my God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for yet I will praise him, my Savior and my God. And then 11 verses in Psalm 63. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. And Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. And I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With seeing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king 
will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. Now, Psalm 42 was written by the sons of Korah, a group probably who were given words and oftentimes assignments by the king to place music to these words that he had written. Sometimes they themselves wrote the words. But they write these words that indicate a deep, profound longing for God. And they give this image of a deer panting for streams of water in the the wilderness, just as I was panting for water on my hike. And then in Psalm 63, David, the king, gives a similar image. He says, in a dry and weary land where there is no water, I thirst for you. My whole being desires you. Human beings, as a race, from the time of Adam forward, have been conceived in death. That's a weird thought, isn't it? But David says so in Psalm 51. In sin, my mother conceived me. And sin brings forth death. And the Apostle Paul describes how that each one of us are dead in our sin and trespasses. And just as a corpse can do nothing to contribute to changing its circumstances, nor could we become spiritually alive were it not for the grace of God. Jesus says that no man comes to me unless the Father first draws him. So God calls us. We are lying there in the grave, essentially. And God calls us forth, just as Jesus called forth Lazarus. Come forth from the grave. I am calling you to new life. And the Holy Spirit comes in and convicts us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And faith is birthed in us. We believe and we become new creatures in Jesus Christ. We are renewed by the Holy Spirit. And so literally, in a a sense that is more real than the child born to their mother, When we are conceived and born of the Holy Spirit, we are like little babes, spiritually speaking. And we must desire, Peter said, the pure milk of the word so that we can grow as Christians. We've got to have that pure milk of the word. We've got to be fed spiritually in order for us to grow, and thus our thirst for God. Now, the wonderful thing about the vast majority of newborn babies in a physical sense is they have a mother nearby who is prepared to immediately begin to feed them, to nurture them, to care for them. So, too, it is with us as we are born again of the Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit that enters into us and is with us at all times and begins to feed us upon 
the Word of God. And we begin to grow. But here's the thing, and, and this is what you must understand as a Christian. Though the promise is that you are blessed if you hunger and thirst for righteousness because you will be fulfilled, the reality also exists that you will continually hunger and thirst for God because he is infinite. He is high above us. He desires for us to seek after him. Just as David wrote there in Psalm 63, to earnestly pour our lives into searching for him. And he wants to be found. But there's a part of that searching, part of that thirsting and hungering for righteousness that helps us to grow, that helps us to come into contact with God in ways that we would never come into contact with him if every need we ever experienced was immediately met. There are causes for our thirst, and we see them in these two psalms. We have an enemy who is seeking to destroy us. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But the enemy comes to rob and to kill and to destroy. Satan's one purpose is to take with him as many of us as he possibly can to a hell that God created for Satan and his angels. And he does this through deception. That is his primary operative means. He deceives us into focusing our attention on anything else but God and believing anything else but the gospel. Look at what it says here in in Psalm uh, 42. My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? And then in Psalm 63 A similar thought. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. We have enemies seeking to destroy us. And so this thirst within us for God is aroused. We begin to recognize that we are in a pitch battle for our eternal lives. We have an enemy who is seeking to destroy us to deceive us. He taunts us all day long. And if we're not aware of that battle that we are in the midst of, we are very easily led astray. But when you are aware of that battle, a thirst arises within you for God because you recognize and understand that God is your shield and your defender. He is a strong tower against the enemy. And so you thirst for him because you recognize that without him, you don't have the strength you need to overcome Satan. Secondly, a cause of thirst that we see here is that we live in a world or in a culture that seeks to deny the existence of God. This is true. And you don't have to look very far to find evidence of it. 
But our culture, our world, the messaging that we constantly are bombarded with is where is your God? Just as the psalmists here write in verse 3, My tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long. In other words, I'm constantly barraged with this message. Where is your God? And again in verse 10, my foes taunt me saying to me, where is your God? We live in a culture that denies the existence of God. That says that everything that we can see, the visible universe, somehow came into existence absent an intelligent designer. Even though there is evidence throughout all of creation, we as human beings being the very best example of God's perfect investment in his creation, the design, the love, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And when we live in this culture that constantly tells us there is no God, you have no need of a God, you just need to stand on your own two feet, pull up your bootstraps, believe in the the wisdom of the philosophers. Professing themselves to be wise, Paul said, they have become fools. Because it is the fool who has said in his heart there is no God. So living in a culture that denies God causes us to thirst after him even more. We desire to find him. Just as the psalmist says there in verse 2 of Psalm 42, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with him? I must find him. And as I said, God desires to be found. He is not running away from us but he is allowing us to experience that intense thirst so that it can be satiated only, only in him. And then finally, a a third cause of thirst is when we grow distant from him. Perhaps through the ordinary, everyday pursuit of life, the attentions that uh, we focus upon that cause us to redirect our gaze away from God. Our soul grows distant from him. And then we begin to thirst for him. Not just for anything, but for the living God. We desire to go and to meet with him, as the psalmist writes. And we say to God, our rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning all the time? Have you ever felt that way? Where is God? Has he abandoned me? How do I find him? Where can I go to meet with my God? There's a thirst that that is aroused within us to find him, to locate him. And just as David said, I seek for you earnestly, God has said that if you seek for me with all of your heart, I will be found of you. See, God is not wanting to be found by people who are haphazard, who really, if they had their own druthers, would be doing something else. But in the desperation of whatever is going on in their life, they say, God, where are you? 
God wants people to seek him earnestly, to desire him diligently, to pursue him with their whole being. That, that, that's a tall order, isn't it? Because we live in bodies of flesh that are not inclined to do that. And yet that is the call, to seek him earnestly. Jesus said to his disciples, the spirit is willing, guys, but the flesh is weak. And so I have placed within you a hunger and a thirst for me. And it will only be satiated when you find me. Nothing else will work. Religion won't work. The praise of people won't work. The pursuit and the apprehension of riches won't work. The only thing that will satiate your hunger and your thirst is God. And he allows that to occur. Now, within these two psalms, I found seven different ways that we quench our thirst. Now, as I mentioned, we don't quench our thirst and then never have another desire, never again have a need to seek after God. We quench our thirst and we're okay for a while, but then there will again come a need because there's an enemy who's seeking to destroy us because we live in a world that seeks to deny God because our flesh is oftentimes so strong it pulls us away from him and that thirst once again is aroused. Different things that I want to point out to you in these two psalms. First, in Psalm 63, it talks about relationship with God. Listen to what David says. He says, you, God, are my God. That's all about relationship. David exclaiming, you, God, are my God. We are in relationship. Now, God, of course, already knew that, but David is recognizing it. David is coming into an absolute dependence upon that relationship. You, God, are my God. And earnestly, I will seek after you. And so, look for God in everything you do because he's always seeking to speak to you. Sometimes we, we tend to separate the secular and the sacred. And we think that when we come into the, the four walls of this building that we will find God when in fact he is with us at all times. In relationship with us. David says, in the dry and parched land where there is no water, I am thirsting for you. Not water, but for you, God, because you're my God. So we're in a relationship. We need to look for God and be aware of that at all times. And then we need to remember those things that God has once spoken to us in the past. David says in Psalm 63, verse 6, On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. And then in verse 6 of Psalm 42, he says, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, and the Mount of Mizar. So David and the sons of Korah remember what God has done for them in the past. They bring to mind 
all of the experiences that they have had before with God and that he has been faithful to them at all times. We are so often like the Ephesian church in the book of Revelation. We have left our first love. And the counsel that Jesus gives to the Ephesian church is to remember those things that you did at the first. Likewise, David remembers God. Sometimes you'll be in a situation in your life that just seems out of control. You don't understand what is going on. Where is God? Why is he allowing this to happen? And when those things happen in your life that you do not understand, remember those things that you do understand about God. His faithfulness, his goodness, his grace, and his love. Which brings me to the third point. To rehearse in your mind constantly God's love. It's an everlasting love. Psalm 136, every other verse reminds the psalmist of that. Your love endures forever. It will never change towards us. And both of these psalms call upon God's love. In verse 8 of Psalm 42, it says, By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. So the psalmist remembers the love of the Lord. And then in Psalm 63, verse 3, David says, Because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. So remember that God loves you. It's an unchanging love. No matter where you find yourself, God's love is with you. There is no place that you can go to to escape the love of God. Whether it is in the night watches or in the, the, the day, God is with you. He loves you. So rehearse that love. Remind yourself constantly of God's love. Then raise up praise and worship. In verse 4 of Psalm 42, David says, I used to pour out my soul when I went to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. So David remembers raising up praise and worship. And then in Psalm 63, he says, I have seen you in the sanctuary. I beheld your power and glory. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. So again, he says, I'm going to raise up praise and worship. So make regular, routine praise and worship a part of your life. Every day. You don't just praise and worship God on Sunday mornings here, although it is delightful to join with brothers and sisters in Christ to do so. You've got to find those times of personal praise and worship. With the Lord. And when you do, just as David says, so too you will say, I will be fully satisfied then as with the richest of foods. Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail, having just had their backs laid open with the cat of nine tails, began to sing hymns of praise to God at the midnight hour. And an earthquake shook the jail. And they were released. So raise up praise and worship, and you will quench that thirst. Rest 
in the storm. One of my favorite verses in all of the Bible is in verse 7 of Psalm 42. David says, deep calls unto deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, though all of your waves and breakers have swept over me, in the midst of the storm, as the waves and the breakers are pouring upon me, in the roar of the waterfalls, there is a peace that I can experience. Chris mentioned it in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. A peace that passes all understanding. When we pray, when we allow deep to call unto deep, we are going to be able to, as Jesus did, sleep in the bow of the boat. Though the storm rages about us, we will know that God has said, we're going to the other side. Deep calls unto deep. Rest in the storm. Listen to the words of Jesus. Peace. Be still. Refocus on hope in him. Now, I don't know about you, but every now and then I find myself thinking that when I get to this particular point in my life, then I will have it made. Then everything will be as I want it to be. I remember before I had kids. When I have kids, it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. And so I was really hoping for kids, and then I got them. <laughs> and, <laughs> and while they were wonderful, I suddenly found, you know what? It's not always wonderful. And there's still something missing. And then I thought, when my kids move out, then it'll be great. I'll be an empty nester. Christy and I will have all the time in the world to do everything I, we want to do. And our kids moved out, and suddenly I missed my kids. There's always th that next stage that you can look to. And sometimes it's something else. It's when you achieve something, a certain status, uh, when you receive something, wh whatever it might be. We place our hope sometimes in things that ultimately cannot deliver what they promise. In Psalm 42, a couple of times, the psalmist, speaking to himself, says, why are you so downcast and so disturbed within yourself? Put your hope in God, your Savior and your God. Two times it repeats that. Focus your hope on that eternal living hope that will not disappoint, that cannot be changed, that is absolutely unassailable, that quenches that thirst. And then finally, I find in verse 4 of Psalm 42 a beautiful picture of the importance of reclaiming body life. Whether you like it or not, you are part of the body of Christ. And I suspect since you are here on New Year's Eve, not somewhere else, you recognize the importance of body life. If you're hearing my voice on the radio, you understand the importance of body life. But so many Christians do not 
appreciate the importance of other believers in their lives. The necessity of gathering together in order to worship God, to study his word, to grow in love towards one another. We need to reclaim the importance of body life. In Psalm 42, David describes how he used to go to the house of God. I'm saying David, but it's really the sons of Korah, probably writing under David's direction. But they recall going to the house of God, the temple, under the protection of the Mighty One, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Everything that we see moving forward from the cross of Christ forward is all about community. We are baptized into the body of Christ. We must join together as eyes, ears, hands, feet, noses, toes, whatever you might be in the body of Christ. We've got to come together. We cannot forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some. Some people believe that I can be a Christian, but I don't need the church. I don't need other people. My worship time is is most profound when I'm alone in the wilderness, when I'm up in the mountains. And I get that. I understand it. But ultimately, the presence of Christ is most real, most marked, most described within the pages of Scripture, as being found in his body. We need one another. We need to reclaim that body of life where we remember going to the house of God and joining with the festive throng in praise and in worship of God. So we quench our thirst for God through several of these means that have been described in these two psalms. But as I said, ultimately, I think that even after we experience the resurrection, even when we see God face to face, as we will one day do, Revelation 22 absolutely describes us living in the very presence of God Almighty. Even then I think that we will experience a yearning, a hunger for more of God, a closer intimacy with him. You too had a song out in the late 80s called I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. And uh, I loved the lyrics. Bono, uh, the writer of the lyrics, uh, at the conclusion of the song, talks about the gospel. Talks about the kingdom to come. When all the colors bleed into one. Finding that relationship with Jesus Christ. And yet saying at the end of the song, and this used to bother me, even then I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And I think that, that he captured a bit of the essence of what David and the other psalmists are writing. That hunger and thirst for God that will be satiated 
but that is continually leading us forward, closer to him. He's infinite. He is going to continually, throughout the ages, reveal himself to us. We will always have a hunger for more of him. So as you step into 2018, as this new year confronts you, this is the question that I'm asking myself. What am I hungering and thirsting most for? When someone who is stronger than you forces your head under the water, what are you seeking? Air. There's nothing else you're thinking about at that point but air. How am I going to get air? How are we going to get God in 2018? That's the question we have to answer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us and for the thirst that is aroused within us for you that only the living God can satiate. And as we move forward, Lord, as your sons and daughters, as a fellowship of believers that you have called together, my prayer is that we will find you when we seek for you with all of our hearts earnestly. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in such a way in this congregation in my life that everything else takes backseat to getting my head above the surface and breathing in you. In Jesus' name.